Are we on? I remember those days. So glad they're behind us now. Really, really pleased. Very good morning, church. It is really good to be here at last. It really is. Um, and thank you uh, last week, too, for the very warm welcome that Christine and I, re- uh, Christine and I received from, uh, from the church. We kind of feel, it's a funny old thing, uh, and we've said this to each other this week a few times, it feels like we've come home. It's quite bizarre. Now, if you're visiting here with us today, my name is Paul. Um, I'm on the staff team here, just uh, new on the staff team. Um, so if you're visiting here, that's, that's who I am, really looking forward to, uh, to getting to know you. But some of you we already know, that's true. How many of you here do we have some sort of relationship with already? Put your hand up. Okay, that's quite a few. Well, the rest of you, we really look forward to getting to know you as well. And um, moving forward uh, uh, the, in this whole interim role, uh, firstly, uh, I've never been an interim pastor. Um, we've pastored two churches uh, before this, this for the last 21 years. Uh, we left here, I think, in last century sometime. And um, that's right, last century. It's true. It's true. It was. Uh, we were sent from this church to our first church uh, up in Wellington, and we've been pastoring two churches up there during the last just under 21 years, uh, and loved every minute of it. Absolutely. Loved every minute of it, haven't we, darling? Right. Uh, but now it's kind of like we've come full circle, and here we are, and it's just a real honour uh, to be called in this role as interim, and it's the role that, that um, um, uh, we wanted to do. I don't, I don't want to be another senior pastor of another church. That's the truth, because uh, God's doing something different with us, and uh, so to be here in the interim... Um, is just hand-in-glove fit as far as we're concerned. So we're really looking forward to uh, getting to know you. While I'm just rabbiting on, can you turn with me, please, to Matthew chapter 1 and then Genesis chapter 8, and just hold Genesis chapter 8 there with your fingers, and we'll come to that a little bit uh, later on. Um, You've been doing... um, Oh, yeah, before that, um, what I want to let you know is... So I think this is our second week here, maybe, third, can't remember... Time has gone by pretty quickly. Um, what, what I've asked the elders in the interim role, which is different than coming in as your senior pastor, uh, the future senior pastor, what's different about it is, um, well, there's a number of things. Um, but uh, what I would like to do, and the elders have given me the green light uh, to do this, um, uh, is meet with as many people as possible. Christine and I will do that together where we can. And where we can't, then, then, then maybe she will visit with somebody and, I, and I'll visit on my own, just depending on the circumstances. But what I want to do for the next six to eight weeks is just ask lots of questions. That's it. Nothing magical. Just going to ask a lot of questions. And um, I guess at some point I've asked the elders, if we can, at some point, maybe in another six to eight weeks' time, if we can have the whole church together, everybody at a church breakfast, and you won't have to pay for that either. You can just come and enjoy. But at that breakfast, I'm going to reflect back to you everything that you've told me. How about that? Are you on board with this? Everything that you've told me, I will reflect back to you. And we'll paint a picture of what you have told me about the life of St. Albans Baptist Church. And that's our starting point. From there, we will look at how we go from there to there. How's that sound? 
So there's no, not going to be any major changes or anything like that yet. <laughs> so it's a real pleasure uh, to be here. Now you've been doing a series, Robert's telling me about that through Matthew's Gospel. In fact, uh, I've been listening to every sermon preached in this church since December. Just to get a sense of what God's doing here with the preaching team. You know, you have got a wonderful preaching team. You know that? You've got a wonderful preaching team. My goodness me. Uh, and some pretty classy people on that team. And so I've been listening to these messages, and you've been going through uh, Matthew, and I think we're up to Matthew 5 or something, Robert. Hmm. And, um, well, what I want to do this morning, and, 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 and in doing this, what, all I'm trying to do, and hoping that you will just receive this in your spirit, I just want to put down a marker. I want to put down a marker so you understand who I am. Now, I think I know who some of you are, but I don't really know the church. 21 years is a long time. When Christine and I left here, coming back 21 years later, we're not the same people, and nor are you. That's true. We're different people. We've had a few of the rough edges knocked off and uh, been shaped and molded, hopefully, by God, and we are who we are now, and we need to be who we are, but we're not the same people, and nor are you, and we need to be kind of cognizant of that. So, in Matthew chapter 1, I want to talk about a biblical principle which will help you to understand something that I'm incredibly passionate about. And it's this principle that I think as we, as we progress in our walk with God and life comes into us and, and, and the, just the challenges of life just come at us all the time. And of course, um, in Christchurch, you've had earthquakes and we were away from all of that. Thank God for that. We went here for that. And then we've had COVID and now we've got Omicron and who, who knows what's around the corner? Hey, who knows? Goodness me. Um, but life can come at you. And sometimes I think we can forget this incredible principle that Brenda touched on last week. Brenda, are you here? Brenda, she's not here today. Um, uh, she, she, she told me what she was preaching on. And as she, this is last week. And, I, and as she's sharing with me, I just started laughing because she laid a platform for what I had already prepared about three or four weeks ago for this first message. So hold on to your seats. It's called generational transfer. That's the principle in the Bible, and it's not very obvious until you start to understand what's below um, the first few verses of Matthew um, chapter 1. So here's my question to you. How many of you believe that after you're gone, that your time on earth, after you've gone, will have little or no impact into the future? How many of you believe that? You live, you're born, you live you die, that's it. How many of you believe that? Ooh, scared church, eh? <laughs> well done for not putting your hand up. Well, I want, you to, want to share with you this morning that that's not how God sees it at all. It's not that you are born, you live, you die, that's it. That's not what God says in his word, and it's not how he sees it. I recall a day, 25 years ago actually, and it was here in Papua Nui, of all places, because we used to live in Redwood Place, number 14. Um, I went to the branch of the BNZ in Papua Nui. I don't know if they've got a branch there anymore, but anyway, we went, I went in there this particular day. And, uh, and I, as you go up to the teller, and I, and I put my um, uh, card across the, 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 the counter, and the, and the lady, the, the teller lady looked, and she said, Edlin, are you, are you an Edlin? I said, when I got up this morning, I was. She said, well, I'm married to an Edlin. And it's not a common name, is it? 
I mean, it's just not the kind, it doesn't I mean there's a few of us around. Um, uh, but anyway, and, and I said, yes, I am, I am. And she said, do you know so-and-so? And I said, yeah, 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 yeah I, I do. She then told me about her husband, who for the last three or four years before that had been going through doing the family genealogy, the family tree, you know, going right back. And she said, she said he's just completed it. And um, if you would like a copy of the family tree, the whole genealogy, going back to 1515, there you go. Would you like a copy? And I said, absolutely. And so I shot around to her place on the weekend, and I bought a copy of this, this, this manuscript that he'd put together. And there were 30,000 entries of different Edlins in it from 1515. Unreal. Absolutely unreal. And I was fascinated by this. Just fascinated. Um, and that how through the centuries that the Edlins had dispersed around the globe. They first started in Scandinavia, um, uh, up in that area, way, way back in time. And then they came across and they went into uh, England, but Scotland was the place they kind of settled in, unfortunately for them, uh, because you know, Scotland and England were always at war with each other. And unfortunately for the Edlin clan at the time, they sided with the guy that lost. Yeah, and, and as a result of that, uh, self-preservation, because they were going to be hung, they all left Scotland and dispersed around the globe. And here we are. Here we are here in New Zealand, all these years later. And I discovered that many of them were pioneers. Many of them were farmers. In Scotland, some were upper-class um, aristocrats. They were lords and nobles. In the last hundred years or so, some pretty clever engineering type Edlins had invented a whole lot of stuff that you take for granted today. Do you want to hear what they are? Here we go. Just, I, I'm so proud of this. My ancestors. Wonderful. Listen to this one. Smokeless gunpowder. <laughs> During the First World War, the German snipers would, would be shooting the, the uh, Allied soldiers, Kiwi soldiers I'm talking about, he would be shooting them because when they, when they fired their bullets, uh, some smoke would come out of the breech of the gun and the sniper would see that and hone in on exactly where that puff of smoke come and a lot of our soldiers were being killed. Well, this Edlin character, he invented smokeless gunpowder, saved hundreds of lives probably, who knows how many, I don't. Smokeless gunpowder, World War I, you know the cat's eyes on the road that keep you to the left and to the right? Invented by one of my ancestors. <laughs> yes. Wonderful. Um, listen to this one. You're going to love this. A cigarette vending machine. <laughs> and how about this one? This is true. Of course it's true. I'm a pastor. I always tell the truth. The automatic dishwasher, which was marketed in Timaru as the Edlin dishwasher, automatic dishwasher. Back in the day, I've got the photograph of the jolly thing. I've got the photograph of the advertisement in the, in the uh, Timaru Herald back in 19-whenever when this thing was invented. And then I realized, and I realized that some of my ancestors had actually made a difference in their lifetime. In fact, they'd made a difference not only in their lifetime, but we are benefiting from what they did. We are benefiting today as a result of that. They left a legacy for others to enjoy and to benefit from. Anyone else here researched their family tree? Any of you done that? There's a few over there. Seb, what did you find? Skeletons in the closet? Yeah, of course, of course, mate. Of course, not you, of course. 
Okay, okay. Yeah, and, and those of you that, that have done the same thing, did you find anything out about your ancestors that you'd rather not talk about? Yeah. Well, there's always skeletons in the closet. Okay, you got Matthew chapter 1 there? Let's look at this principle in God's Word. It kind of sits below the surface, but hopefully we can highlight it this morning. So we're reading Matthew 1, I'm NIV. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And they carry on fathering for 42 generations. I'm not going to read them all because by the time we get there, you'll all be asleep. But for 42 generations, they kept propagating. Verse 16, so just jump down to verse 16. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Christ. Verse 17. Thus there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Now, Matthew's genealogy shows us it's simply not true that we are born, we live, we die, that's it. Clearly. That's not true. The end. No, no, no. We see in Matthew 1 that we can make a difference, not only in our generation, please listen to this, but the generations to come, including the generation that was running around here under our feet this morning. We can make a difference in that generation and way beyond after we have gone. Verse 1 says this, Jesus is both the son of David and the son of Abraham. Now, here's my question. How could Jesus be both the son of David and the son of Abraham, given that both of them had passed many, many years before he even turned up? How could that be? Well, here's the answer. Firstly, by descent, by biological descent, Jesus could trace his bloodline all the way back to Adam. Now, that's a legal issue in the Bible. There has to be. Otherwise, Jesus could not have occupied the throne of David legally unless he could trace his bloodline back to him. So there's a legal component to that. But listen, here's the one that really I want you to get in your spirit. Not only by descent, but secondly, by promise. The promise of a savior. The promise that Jesus would come into the world and we would be recipients of that promise. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that incredible? Hello, church. Isn't that awesome? Jesus, um, clearly, when, um, when Abraham, when God called Abraham 2,000 be- years before um, Jesus even turned up on the scene, God had a bigger plan in mind. Someone say amen. amen. And his plan was from Abraham's seed, the Messiah would come 42 generations later. See, here's the point. God doesn't think one-dimensionally like we do. He doesn't think like that. God has long-range plans for your life, for my life, for this church and beyond. Before you arrived, God had a plan going. Listen to this. After you have gone, Simon, his plan will still be going after you're gone. not saying that you should go now. That's okay. Stick around. 
His plan will continue. Church, if we only see our own life, our own generation, we will limit not only what we can do in our generation, but we will limit the next generation and beyond. If all we see is today, we limit everything else into the future. When God called Abraham at age 75, did you get that? 75, God calls him and said, I want you to get your family, get your, 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 your donkeys and your, and your, and your um, livestock and all your servants, and I want you to go to a land that I will show you. He had no idea where he was going. But out of pure obedience, he said, yes, God. Yes, Lord. God took him to another land, which, which is now Israel, and gave it to him and his descendants. Here's the point. And through that promise that God gave Abraham, he had you in mind too. Hello? He had you in mind as well. You know, for Christine and me, we're not thinking only about our children. We're thinking about our grandchildren and our children's children and beyond. Proverbs 13.22 says this, A good man or woman leaves an inheritance to his children's children. And here's the principle. The God we serve thinks, plans, and builds generationally. And because of this principle of generational transfer, we can have huge impact on the future. Isn't that a wonderful principle? We can have massive impact into the future. Now, that's a powerful thought. So how do you do that, you ask? How do I do that, Paul? Well, rather than living just for today, rather than living just for myself, just living in the here and now, you simply change your focus from the present to include the future generations, Anna. You don't do it and put yourself on the sideline, not at all. You change your focus from just living now to looking into the future as well. Let me give you another scripture. Isaiah 51.8 says this, But my righteousness, talking about Christ, will be forever. And my salvation, listen, from generation to generation. When you take those, that phrase together, generation to, to generation, it implies transfer. It's not just this generation end. It says from generation to the next generation, to the next generation, to the next generation. It implies a, a, a growth, a multiplication, because God's involved in this. That's what God does. God is a builder. That's what he does. And with all that in mind, then, I want to share four keys from Matthew 1 on how thinking generationally can have a positive and lasting impact for the future generations. Here's the first principle. If we think generationally, it gives us the motivation to serve our generation. See, this is never at the expense of the here and now. Never. In fact, it is because of the here and now that we build whatever it is we build so we can transfer that to the next generation. Do you see this? And this is how God works. It's his character. It's his nature. It's how he functions. 
In fact, the kingdom of God functions like this. So listen to this. In Acts 13.36 says this, For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep. Means he died. Everyone go, oh. Yeah, he died. That's it. It's all over. So David, after he had served the purposes of God in his generation, he fell asleep. Now, you would think that would be the end of David's story, wouldn't you? But it's not the end of his story. Jesus turns up about a thousand years, according to Google, about a thousand years after David died. But as, but, but as we saw in Luke's genealogy, Jesus is referred to as the son of David and the son of Abraham. How could that be? I mean, biologically, how could that be? He's not a thousand years old. So how could it be? Clearly, God set things up so that David's legacy would continue. And we see that principle being outworked in 2 Kings chapter 19. Let me just give you the brief overview. Sennacherib, king of Assyria, um, was about to destroy Jerusalem. King Hezekiah prayed that God would deliver the nation. They, 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 they were outgunned, they were outnumbered, they were, they were in a walled city, they were totally out, they were going to be wiped out and annihilated, Caleb, the whole lot of them. So uh, Hezekiah prays that God would deliver them. Here's, here's a good principle. When you're in trouble, pray. There's a thought. There's a radical thought for the church. When you're in trouble. Actually, I've got a better thought. Before you get into trouble, pray. Maybe we should do it that way. Listen to this, verse 34 of 2 Kings 19. And God said, I will defend the city and save it for the sake of my servant David. And the angel of the Lord killed that night 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. They got up in the morning, they looked beyond the, the wall of their city, and they saw all of these bodies lying on the ground. 185,000 of them killed overnight by the angel of the Lord. Bad luck for the Assyrians, good luck for the Israelites. All because of this principle of generational transfer. Listen to this. The destruction of the Assyrian army for the sake of of my servant David. God did it for the sake of David. Did you hear that? And God will do it for your sake and to your generation, your children and your children's children by what you do today. It doesn't end when you are put on the ground. It can go on and on into perpetuity. So what does this mean? The destruction of the Assyrian army for the sake of my servant David. Listen to this church took place 300 years after David had died. Are you getting this? What does it mean? It means that because of David's decision to serve God in his lifetime, in his generation, he's still having an impact 300 years later. Just like my ancestors who invented the, no, don't forget the cigarette thingy, the, the lights down the middle of the road. We're still benefiting by it today. You know, I thought, Andrew, I thought, I'm going to go back and research it a little bit deeper, because it may well be that I can get some inheritance from that, you know? <laughs> but anyway, we'll see. Here's the first key. What you do in your lifetime can absolutely affect the future generation. Someone say Amen. Yeah, 
Absolutely. Number two, if we think generationally, it should give us the motivation for ourselves to live a godly and an upright life. Psalms 112 verse 102, uh, 1 and 2 says this, Blessed is the man or woman who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in God's commands. So this is clearly more than just a casual Christian. The one who delights greatly in God's commands. His children, their children will be mighty on earth. The generation of that upright person, that man or that woman, listen, will be blessed. Definite article, will be, not might be, not could be, should be, will be blessed. That's what it says. These are not my words. This is the Bible. This is the Word of God. Parents, here is a reason to live a godly and upright life. The children of the upright will be mighty on earth. Can you receive that in your spirit today? Your children by what you do today, can be mighty on earth. Now, to be sure, at some point they need to make their own decisions. By the way, your kids will make some mistakes, but so did you. So did I. That's kind of normal. You learn from your mistakes. In fact, I think that Making a mistake every now and again is actually a good thing as long as you do learn from it. As someone said, mistakes are footprints on the road to success. If you learn from the mistake, if you don't learn from it, you're an idiot. Just learn from it. Learn from the experience. Don't repeat it. And it will be a blessing to you rather than a curse. See, what you do, parents, the example that you set as their parent or their parents today has an indelible impact on the future decisions that they make. You know, in the face of rampant secularism, re-engineering of our social values and the temptations that come to all of us, do you want to give your children a head start in life? That's a question. Do you want to give them a head start in life? Well, the psalmist says this, parents... Stand tall in character and integrity, and your children will be blessed. Wow. Are you getting this? Second key, if we live our life God's way, we can pass those values and those principles on to the next generation and the generations to come. Third principle, there's only four, I'll get there pretty quickly. How are we off for time? We're good. There must be a commitment to believe in the next generation, that is, the younger generation. There must be a commitment to believe in these young ones coming through. You know, this young lady here, Anna, when we first met her, she was that high. No, no, she was smaller than that, wasn't she? Did, did I, was she the one? I dedicated her, apparently. Isn't that scary? She said, it's scary. That's not very nice, Anna. It's terrible. <laughs> I was holding this little pet. You know, couldn't hold her now, but, you know, there you go. And, and, and now look at her. She's an elder in the church, one of the best preachers you've got on your team. Flipping awesome. And I look at this generation coming through, this younger generation. I'm saying, man, oh, man, I wish I was like that. 
in my time. You see, when we hold back people who are gifted, who are passionate, they have an obvious ability to make a difference. When we hold them back because they're too young, we limit them, we limit the church, and essentially we limit God. Mr. Cameraman, is it okay if I wander around? Yeah, great. We limit God and then we wonder why we're not having the impact that we've prayed and believed for for years. Have I got a question for you? Have you ever noticed that the older you get, the less risks you want to take? You know, one of the signs you're getting old is when you stop trusting and releasing young people. Our kids, who are now adults, when they wanted to try new things, they wanted to have more responsibility. And I remember Joseph, um, 12 years of age, Dad, can I drive the car? You know, can I get into the driving seat? This is just out here in Redwood Place because we lived at number 14. Can I drive the car? And, and I'm thinking, you're too young. And then I realized I was exactly the same. I was exactly the same. You know, I grew up on a farm um, way back in the day. And um, at seven years of age, seven I was driving this big blue Fordson tractor and my dad's on the back with, of the trailer feeding out the cattle and the sheep with the, with the pitchfork. In those days, they didn't have mechanical feeders. He was it. And I'm driving this thing seven years of age. My feet couldn't even touch the, the, the brakes or anything. I couldn't even touch them. He would start the thing. Dad would start it. And he'd say, okay, son, got the steering wheel? Yep, got it, Dad. And he'd put the, the accelerator into a particular position because it was up on the, um, on the, uh, around the steering wheel. And, and it would go chug, chug, chug along. And I'm steering this thing around the paddock. Seven years of age. And I have to, had to continu continually remind myself, my kids are just like I was. You see, church, how do you prepare young people for responsibility? Any ideas? Give them opportunity. Give them opportunity. Zoe, look at this young lady leading worship here. Have you heard this girl sing? Do you know this girl? Have you heard her sing? My voice of an angel. Wow. Zoe, what are you, 14, 15? You can tell me off after. Yeah. Had to constantly remind myself that my kids were just like, I was just like them at their age. It's often the younger generation that push and challenge the safety of the status quo. I don't, I don't ever want to be the type of leader that stifles new ideas stifles the creativity that young people often can bring. You know the seven last words of a dying church? It's never been done that way before. <laughs> young people by nature are experiential. They want to discover. They want to explore. They want to encounter new things. Now for sure, that can get you into trouble if you don't have boundaries, young people. It can get you into trouble. And that's what, what the role of a parent, our, our role is to help guide you through, through, navigate you through all the stuff that life's going to throw at you. But at the end of the day, trying new things is not wrong. And young people have this ability to show us the way. So the third key, we need a commitment to believe in and release the next generation. Fourth and final, 
If we think generationally, hopefully it will give us the wisdom to invest into the next generation. You know, Moses left Egypt thinking that he was going to take all of God's people into the promised land, but he never got there. Joshua took them in. Joshua took the next generation in. David had a dream to build God a temple, and he prepared the blueprints. He accumulated all the money and all the resources, the materials needed, and unfortunately, he died. Solomon built the temple. Jesus lived and died on a cross for a new covenant for many, many sons and daughters. He's alive today because he was raised from the dead. But Romans 8.29 says this, that he is the firstborn of many brethren, many generations yet to come. So because of what David and Jesus sowed into their generation, we are now benefiting today. We're benefiting this morning. Look at us, we're here together. Who knows what will happen in the next 20, 50, 100 years because of, this, of that, their decision and your decision to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your decision to invest and to sow into your generation for the benefit of other generations to come. Who knows what God will do with that? So thinking generationally gives us the wisdom to invest into the next generation. One more scripture, Genesis 8.22. I said we'd come to it. Genesis 8.22, just flash it up on your um, iPad, your iPhone, or if you've got a paper Bible, that's fine. It says this, Genesis 8.22, as long as the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. Uh, in other words, until the Lord returns, of these four natural laws, seed time and harvest, which are sowing and reaping, cold and heat, summer and winter, and day and night will never cease. Now, of those four natural laws that control our world, there's only one of them that we have control over. Cold and heat, that's coming. Winter's on the way. Can't stop it. Summer and winter, day and night, it's daytime now, it'll be nighttime a few hours later, they have a rhythm that is established and set by God, actually. But seed time and harvest, church, sowing and reaping, that's a law that we do have some control over. That's a law that we do have some say-so over. Paul's letter to the Galatians 6-7 says this, and I read it from the Amplified Version because it's got the better language. He says this, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. He will not allow himself to be ridiculed nor treated with contempt nor allow his precepts, which means his natural laws, to be scornfully set aside. For whatever a man or a woman sows, listen to this, this and all. This only is what they will reap. Look at Abraham. When God called Abraham to leave his home and everything that he knew, God had something better in mind. And through his act of obedience, many, many generations later, we today are recipients of what God promised Abraham. Look at Sarah. 
She's 90 years old before she, well beyond the age of childbearing, conceived. Yet God multiplied generations of her offspring to become the nation of Israel. Today, you may not be what you want to be or even what you ought to be. But because of this biblical principle of generational transfer, thank God you are now what he called you to be, sons and daughters of the living God. You know, church, look at this incredible facility that we are in right now. Have you ever asked yourself this question, if you're reasonably new here, how did this get here? How did this get here? All of this. Have you ever asked, stopped and asked yourself the question? But I'll tell you why, how it got here. Because a lot of faithful people, many of them, before your time, turned up, sowed some time, energy, resources into their generation, and we are reaping the benefits of that today in our generation. I want to leave you with this thought. You can do nothing to change your past. But your life committed to following Jesus Christ can without a doubt have a huge impact into the future even after you have gone. Say amen. amen. Even after you have gone. Zoe, could you bring the team up please? Now, church, one of the strategies of the enemy, and he's very, very good at this, one of his strategies is getting us to make short-term decisions, short-term thinking, that all we see is um, the here and now, just, yeah, it's my life, and it's just me. It's Christine and I, and it's just her and I, and never mind our children and our eight grandchildren, by the way, for those that you didn't know. We've got eight, hopefully more on the way, but who knows if they're doing their job properly. <laughs> anyway, a strategy of the enemy is to keep your life small, to keep you limited, and guaranteeing that you will be insignificant. That's a strategy of the enemy. What's your name? Christine. Christy, yeah. Yeah. So someone I don't know, you see, so I'll just take the opportunity and say hi. <laughs> you thought I was going to say something else, didn't you? No, it's good. <laughs> to try to convince you that you have nothing of value to pass on to the next generation. And you know, he will try to kill your potential. Satan is very, very good at doing that. He's a master at doing that. He will try to kill your future. You know, in Matthew, uh, a second chapter of Matthew, I think it was, um, when King Herod, Herod had all the baby boys in Jerusalem under two years of age killed, do you, you realize what he was trying to do? He was trying to, he wanted to destroy the Messiah, and, I, and I, that's, that's what he was doing physically. But what he was doing was trying to kill God's plan and purpose for the universe, for the world by killing those children. And the principle is, he will do that to you too. He will take the dream that you've had all your life and he will kill it if you let him. He will cut it away from your life. He will remove it from you. He will tell you, you're not good enough. He will say to you, you, you can you, you're going to preach? Are you kidding me? Wonderful preacher. 
Hey, Miriam, he will rob you, he will steal, he will kill and destroy if you let him. But we're not going to, are we? Church, we're not. We're not going to let him. He can try, and he tries. He's had, tried to take us out in the last couple of weeks, eh, babe? That's for sure. Did you know that the earth actually belongs to God? It's his footstool. And somehow we've believed that Satan owns the earth. No, he doesn't. He may have possession of it, but he doesn't have title right to it. We do. The church. It's been given to us. And we need to take back what belongs to us. Please stand to your feet. While Zoe is just um, getting the team teed up for this song, that, yeah. Ah, uh, yeah, the promise of song, beautiful song. Um, church, I said earlier on that today, um, um, I want to put a marker in the sand. And many of you don't know Christine or I. Some of you do, and we're, we're, we're grateful for that. But many of you don't. And um, so we look forward to getting to know you over the next year and a half, whatever. But I also need to be who I am. Um, I believe emphatically that without the presence of the Holy Spirit doing what only He can do, I can preach till I'm blue in the face to you and nothing will change. You see, unless God turns up and does what only He can do, we walk in here one way and walk out the same. Who wants to do that? We should walk in here one way and go out different. Walk out differently. Not, not having it all together. I certainly don't. But walk out inspired and energized and revitalized. Because like you, if you're here today and you, have, and you are a follower of Jesus, you have already, if you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior... You are already baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's already happened. So what are we doing with what God has already given us? That's the question. And I have to constantly remind myself of that too. What am I doing with what God put into my hands? Am I just sitting on it and, and say, well, thank you, Lord. It's really nice. I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. Never mind about my children and my grandchildren and the next generation. They can take care of themselves. No, not at all. I need to take what God has given me. Zoli, use it. Multiply it. Expand it. Spread it abroad. Let other people know that the God that I serve is not static. The God that we serve is not just one-dimensional in his thinking. He's a multi-dimensional God. He sees, he sees your past, and he's really not interested in it, by the way. He knows your present, but you know what he's really interested? Is your future. So if you're here today, here's the, here's the marker, if you like. With your permission, church, I can do nothing else but invite people to be prayed for 
and ask the Holy Spirit to do what I can't do and you can't do. That's just who Christine and I are. We'll always go before God and say, God, you do it. So if somehow the, the words that have been spoken this morning, if somehow God has used them to witness into your spirit, take the opportunity. Let us pray for you. I have no clue who's on the preaching to, uh, um, the um, prayer team, but I'm sure there's a few. Um, but I know the elders um, are here to pray for people because as elders, they, they are able to pray for people as of right because they're elders. So they don't need my permission or yours. They just do that. But there are others of you here that are on your, the prayer team, um, Miriam and a whole bunch of others. And I want, please, this is really, really important, so important. And again, about putting the marker on the ground. You know, the worst thing is when someone comes down the front to be prayed for and no one comes around to pray for them. <laughs> please don't let us do that. Let's, let us not be that kind of church. If someone comes down to be prayed for, please gather around them. And, 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 and then don't tell them your story. Listen to their story. And then ask God to do what only God can do. But you also, you don't have to come down the front to be prayed for. You can be prayed for right where you're sitting or standing as it is now. You just, just get somebody who you trust and you respect to gather around you. It's the, the geographical location down here is just convenience. That's all that is. I guess the real point is this. Don't leave here today if, you, if there's something that you are carrying that's weighing you down. Don't leave here today the same way that you walked in. There may be someone here today who's had a dream, their future just been cut off and curtailed. Robbed, actually. The enemy's good at robbing us because he's a thief comes steal, kill, and destroy. He's the master at that. Don't let him come down. If you've got generational stuff on your life, you know that someone has set stuff into your life, into your spirit, That because words have power. If someone's spoken negatively into your life and said, you're this, that, and every other thing, or you'll never be this, that, and every other thing, you can cut that off in an instant by allowing the Holy Spirit to come and deal with that issue. So that you... Be prayed for where you are or come down the front. We'd love to do that. Zoe's going to lead us in this song. And I'm not going to invite you again. If you come down, we'll, we'll just gather around and pray. Um, otherwise, we'll see you out in the, what's it called? The what? Is, is the coffee machine going?